Kia orana, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Elisha Foon. Coming up first... A shift in the Australian government's position on climate will be certainly welcomed in the Pacific region. Australia has a new Prime Minister, but what will this mean for the Pacific? The budget 2022 for the Cook Islands uh, this year has been named as Keeping the Faith, which is fantastic. Reaction from the Rarotongan business community following the Cook Islands budget. And the representation of women, I guess, is chief amongst the reasons why I persisted. We find out more about the trials women face attempting to get into the PNG Parliament. The election of Australia's new Prime Minister means there's opportunity for change in its relationships with Pacific nations. Labor's Anthony Albanese has been sworn in as the new Prime Minister-elect. There are promises already being made to strengthen relationships and improve climate change resilience with the Pacific. I'm joined by John Frankel, who is a Victoria University of Wellington professor in comparative politics in the School of History, Philosophy, Political Science and International Relations. Welcome, John. Firstly, what can the Pacific expect from the new Prime Minister of Australia and his government? We can expect some things to be different and some things to be similar. Certainly, the election as many people have been saying, was fought as a khaki election focused on the um, a security deal that China has signed with the Solomon Islands, which uh, Labour was um, uh, described as a major foreign policy blunder. So one can expect that they, like the coalition, will be um, uh, seeking to edge out China in the, in the Pacific Islands. On uh, other things, though, I think we can see, imagine that there'll be more differences. The, um, there is an Australian com- Labour commitment to additional aid funding, to um, uh, revisions to the seasonal worker, uh, uh, the, the recognised seasonal worker scheme. Um, perhaps more emphasis also on uh, gender issues in the Pacific. Uh, Penny Wong has mentioned that. I think those are some of the most important things that we can expect to change. You mentioned Senator Penny Wong, who's the new Australian Foreign Affairs Minister. She provided a short snippet, a video on Twitter, promising to strengthen relationships with the Pacific, tackle the pandemic recovery and climate change. Any idea of what this could look like in greater detail? Well, I think the climate change commitment is particularly important. And uh, there's... um, uh, a talk of setting up a, a climate infrastructure partnership, a new Pacific Island climate infrastructure partnership. Of course, that's been a, a, a major issue for the Pacific Islands over the past decade. The fact that Australia was offside on an issue that the island countries have taken right at the core of, uh, of, the, of their uh, policies and of their diplomacy and diplomatic relations with the external world. So the a shift in the Australian government's position on climate will be certainly welcomed in the Pacific region. And with China's new security deal with the Solomon Islands, that's been a point of political dispute during the Australian election campaign. And there are Mm. now reports that Beijing could be planning to strike a similar agreement with Kiribati. Mm. What can we expect Mm. there in response to Australia and and the new government stepping in? Mm. I think that the situation in Kiribati is slightly different. There's been rumours around for some time about uh, Canton Island. Uh, bear in mind that uh, Kiribati did sign a treaty of friendship with the United States in 1979 that included some commitment not to build military facilities on some of those islands. 
those islands used, used to be contested. They were under dispute between the United States and Kiribati. That treaty in 1979 agreed that, uh, that those islands would come under Kiribati jurisdiction, but there were some provisions for preventing Kiribati from uh, inviting third powers to build military facilities on them. So uh, that's an issue. A lot of what's talked about in relation to Kiribati is rumour at the moment. I, I know that one of the opposition politicians, Tessie Lamborn, uh, has been um, concerned about uh, government deals with China in the past uh, for, for such facilities, and she's also expressed concern again. But uh, there isn't any hard evidence as yet, so we'll need to watch that carefully. There's also been discussion about uh, Chinese plans to extend the airstrip on, I think, Santo Island in, um, in Vanuatu, so that's another issue to watch. Absolutely. We'll be watching closely. Do you know much about the new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, at all? No, not a great deal. Not a great deal. More about Penny Wong and, and others. Um, uh, bear in mind that the last um, Labour governments did not have a, a kind of a, a major orientation towards the Pacific. And although uh, Australia has committed to increase aid funding by uh, around um, uh, $500 million, uh, nevertheless, the, um, that, that's not really enough. Uh, the, the aid commitments that they put forward are not really enough to keep pace with, uh, with, with inflation or to keep uh, Australian aid as a, 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 at a level uh, re- relationship with gross national income. So, uh, in fact, the Labour Party has promised more in, in terms of Pacific aid in the past than it is offering at present. OK. And what about NARU? Yes, well, Nauru still is the site of a detention centre for Australia's unwanted refugees. As far as I'm aware, Labour's made no specific uh, promises on that. The other detention centre, Manus Island, was closed down some years ago. It'll be interesting to see whether there's a a change to the Australian policy on use of Nauru. It's been extremely expensive for Australia in the past. Thank you, John, for joining me. The Cook Islands 2022 budget, labelled Keeping the Faith, includes a rise in the pension and minimum wage. Prime Minister Mark Brown announced an increase by 50 cents an hour in the minimum wage and pensioners will be pocketing an extra $20 a month. He says he's confident the boost will help low-income earners. Our reporter Lydia Lewis spoke with the Cook Islands Chamber of Commerce Chief Executive Rebecca Tavioni to find out what she thought of it. Budget 2022 for the Cook Islands uh, this year has been aptly themed and named as Keeping the Faith, which is fantastic. I think it's really fit given that previously in 2021 the whole budget was focused on revival and in 2020 it was a different story. It was about, you know, I think we refer to it as a budget of blessings because in 2020, that was the year we graduated as a, a developed nation, and then uh, COVID came around. So, <laughs> so keeping the faith this year is, uh, is, is a fitting name for the budget. Something that many people can obviously relate to. And a lift on the minimum wage, another lift, is this going to be doable for business owners? Yeah. So the lift on the minimum wage went from $8 to $8.50 uh, 50 as of the 1st July 2022. That does have an impact on the private sector. However... Um, in previous months, we would have heard some news around the, la- the critical labour shortage that's been happening in the Cook Islands. So in reality, 
most of the employees who are employed by the private sector in the Cook Islands are already receiving above minimum wage because that's just the way that the labour market works now. It's never been a better time to be employed in the Cook Islands than now. On the critical labour shortage, in the Prime Minister's speech that I listened to in Parliament, he said, we've heard the business community and we've responded. Has he responded? And what is the response that you heard today? Are you satisfied with that? Today, he did respond by promising that one of the target areas in which they will be focusing on in the 2022 to 23 budget is removing the barriers for businesses uh, in terms of removing barriers specifically for business performance. So we're really keen to see what that entails and how that looks. In 2021, the Chamber submitted a white paper to the government on business efficiencies and what uh, support needs to be enabled within the business environment, especially the private sector in the Cook Islands, to operate freely. Um, so we're, we're watching to see what that means in terms of that target area, and we're hopeful and we're keeping the faith that some of the recommendations that we made in 2021 will show up. Were you hoping, though, for more movement on that? That has been in the works for a while now. You know, keeping the faith is great, but were you hoping for some action today? There is always a hope that action will be immediate, it will be swift, and that we will see a return on that so swiftly. Um, what we have been able to witness, however, is through the support, I think that the government, $42 million was spent on the private sector in, over the past 12 months, uh, 12 to 24 months, purely on wage subsidies, um, and that was to buy time to ensure that businesses would remain and would survive during that down period. So, Whilst we are looking ahead and whilst we are looking at what other areas in terms of support so that we can return and recover swiftly, we are mindful that that support in terms of wage subsidy only ended in no less than four weeks ago. So we, um, in, in all essence, keeping the faith right now is still strong because that has been supported in government action in the past. That's right. And the Prime Minister does even go so far to say that and quote, we would have regressed to a third world country living standards wise if that injection or, or those supports were not implemented and even, you know, would have resulted in economic scarring. But what is missing from <laughs> this year's budget? Um, what's missing from that budget? I think it's well rounded. Uh, there are a few things that, you know, open to opinion. Diversifying our economy isn't quite something that, that's feasible with an economy that is uh, fully uh, focused on uh, tourism. So around diversifying our tourism would be great. Around, like, is there any um, equity-type funding that could aid in creating new businesses in areas in which that aren't right now um, viable, such as Pioneer would be great. So having a look at how we could diversify the existing economy that we have in different ways um, by, by stimulating that growth um, is something that we always look to see in budgets. So, I mean, uh, that's really, if we haven't received the full copy yet. So uh, at a glance, I wouldn't be able to give you a full response around other areas that are probably more um, more impactful to have been included. But at this stage, you know, the, the initial reaction is an adverse. Dulciana Somari Brash believes second time round she will succeed in her quest to become an MP in Papua New Guinea. The daughter of the country's founding Prime Minister, the late Sir Michael Somari, stood unsuccessfully in the East Sepik regional seat in 2017, finishing fourth in the vote count. This time she's standing in the Ngorum seat in East Sepik, which had previously been held by her brother. 
Don Wiseman spoke with Miss Somari Brash and began by asking about the trials women face attempting to get into the PNG Parliament. It's a tough, tough world, politics in PNG, isn't it? especially for women. Why take it on? I ask that question myself every day. It is very complex and and the political landscape shifts remarkably every day, every year, every political term. And I think the importance of representation, the representation of women, I guess, is chief amongst the reasons why I persisted. I stood in 2017 for a regional seat in the province where my Indigenous province and I came forth and it was a good sort of I guess, litmus test for what to expect uh, these elections. I think going back to your question on the reasons why, I think it is really important. Papua New Guinea is growing so quickly. We're growing at a population rate, I I understand, of about 3.8% each year. And the representation in Parliament is skewed towards males. Well, not even skewed. It's the, we, we don't have female representation in Parliament at all, and that too is a, is a huge motivator for why I continue to persist. I work in a political space as a technical advisor, and I'm hoping that as I see my support base increase that I might have some success at the polls this time. That first poll, you were a long way down, really, weren't you? What are your chances in reality of doing better this time? The political dynamic was very trying in 2017. We had some internal issues where I moved away from a political base that was a political party that my father established in 2002. That was uh, in National Alliance. And I, I had actually moved back to the original party, political party that my father had founded at Independence to bring Papua New Guinea to independence. That was Pungal Party. And so there was resistance within my family and it assisted in, I guess, uh, dismantling my support base in the electorate. So I understand that very clearly. Apart from that, I'm from an ancient society, a very strong patriarchy. So I was up against that. It's not an excuse, it's a reason. And it was very, very trying. And to have even made it past the first count in my society is actually, I mean, I guess in, in, in other terms, in external terms, when you look at the numbers, yes, it was a long way down, but to have even received a placing at all from a list of entirely male candidates. I think there may have been one other female candidate. I take that as a win and I know that my chances this time are highly increased and I believe that I sit in the top three um, of the candidacy going into these elections. My exposure and my working career in the last five years has been entirely in a political space where I worked to a Deputy Prime Minister. We did assist in the establishment of big numbers in the formation of the government that is now uh, in place in Pungal Party. Our Deputy Prime Minister and my party leader of many years who recently died in a terrible car accident, in fact only a few days ago, was my mentor and of course assisted me through a very tumultuous period in Papua New Guinea and I, and I feel very confident with the policy priorities that I'm promoting with a deep understanding of my people and their challenges and certainly the issue of, of the importance of equity in the benefit sharing arrangements in Papua New Guinea where women and children and youth seem to be left at the back of the line when, when we're divvying out the spoils if you like from our massive resource base in Papua New Guinea. Well women seem to very often be a long way down the line don't they in terms of the way in which they're treated right across the board in Papua New Guinea. How quickly can that be changed? 
It's a good question. I mean, I guess as with anything, a demand for that change has to appear and it has to emerge organically. And I think we're in a time and place now in Papua New Guinea in 2022 where we're fighting over resources and infrastructure that were largely built in the 1960s, 70s, 80s and 90s. And most of the critical infrastructure that should have been importantly supporting our our growing population is failing our people. And I think off the back of that, I don't think I would have put my hand up again if I didn't think that I was going to get the support. And I think that as women have been largely left to the back of the line. And a surprising feature of our society at the moment is that women have been front-loading these campaigns and in areas that are very, very remote that haven't developed for literally thousands of years. I'm seeing a voice where the male support, the customary leadership, the appointed uh, local level leadership are throwing their support behind women who have just said we've had enough and we've gone as far as we can go with the male support and we'd like to see whether we can get by throwing our support behind a female candidate who seems to know what she's talking about. We're going to try that now. It sounds like a wing and a prayer but I've never seen this level of support before. Yes, I was speaking with Dame Carol Kidu. She said something very similar. Do you think this is going to finally lead to a significant number of women being elected? And I hope so. I can't speak for the rest of Papua New Guinea. When we consider the mix that we're looking at, um, there are largely a handful of urban seats that are uber urban seats. And there are many, many district constituencies that may as well have been stuck in a time warp. So I couldn't give a generic answer to that question. I hope that where people have had more exposure due to social media, more exposure due to just high levels of education and more, again, of a, a demand for better conditions for women and girls, that we will see that manifest in the polls. Our money politics tends to get in the road of that. And I'm infuriated by the fact that I see so regularly that there are many people that are cashing in on the fact that our people are impoverished and they come to the polls or pre-polls and induce large voter bases to support them when between them and God, they know that they don't have a plan for our people. So I really hope that we're going to be able to see a remarkable change because we do have more women that are educated. We do have more women that understand that are speaking the speak of development, that understand macro-fiscal, macro-economic conditions, that do understand the importance of the adopted structures and systems and institutions that we adopted an independence that have evolved quite slowly that lack reform. And there are a handful of remarkable women championing these, but also now putting their hands up. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tofa soy for.